Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. There may be some things we need to start calling the Sea of Tiberias that we've been calling the Sea of Galilee if we are going to speak the same language as some of the other people. But we've been calling it the Sea of Galilee for a long time. Everybody know what the Sea of Galilee is. No, they don't. If I can open up an article in in the Pew Religious Center studies and see that only 17% of people go to church on a Sunday, we might need to change our language. If I can look in a sociological study of the Houston, greater uh, the greater metropolitan area, and, and over 5 million people be in it, but 4.6 million people of them do not go to church in the, in the supposed Bible belt, we might need to change our language. If the, only, if the average committed Christian only goes to church 1.4 times a month, we might need to change our language. Let us pray. Awesome ruler, creator of everything, the giver of all good gifts and graces. We thank you for an opportunity to gather once again in your name, Lord God. Lord God, I ask that every word that I speak, every thought that I think be acceptable in your sight. That you have a word for your people. And that it be a seed that's planted in good soil, returning the fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about the hefted shepherd. The hefted shepherd. I was back and forth between titles and the hefted shepherd was one, and feed my sheep and follow me was the other. Uh, there's a man by the name of James Rebanks, and he's a shepherd in the Lake District of England. And he's working land that his father worked, and his grandfather worked, and many other generations have worked for thousands of years. He wrote a book called The Shepherd's Life, A Tale of the Lake District. And it takes uh, those of us who don't know anything about sheep or anything about life on these green hills or fells as they call them and, and things that haven't changed. They all have a rhythm. And those rhythms have not changed over uh, much for shepherds over the course of hundreds of generations, despite all the technology that we have, uh, despite all of the things that go on in a 21st century world, shepherding is still an ancient and unchanging way of life that is always about the sheep and the land. Uh, 
it's uh, pretty interesting. Most of us would think that herding sheep or shepherding is a profession that people don't do anymore. And we, we picture the green pastures and the still waters of, of Psalm 23, but we miss the fact that shepherding is also uh, muddy, dirty, smelly, difficult work. It takes a practiced hand and an eye for detail that is honed over time. It's not for the faint of heart or those who just want to dabble in it. It's, it's got to be in you. I'm reminded of when I was in seminary, uh, the, the Houston Galveston Extension had a full-time employee that kind of supervised the area uh, for the classes that weren't taken in Dallas on campus. And I remember she had a, a, a dog that was in its DNA. Uh, it was some sort of uh, herder. And she took it out for a walk. They went, to, they went to visit another country, and she took it out for a walk, and they had sheep kind of walking around the area. And this sheepdog saw one of the sheep away from the rest of the flock. This sheepdog that had lived in Houston, Texas, all its life, ain't never been around sheep saw sheep, a couple sheep off to the side, mm -hmm. broke loose from her master, mm -hmm. barked those sheep back into place with the rest of the flock, and then came back to her like they had been sheep herding their entire life. Oh. Some things just have to be in you. Amen. Uh, but, but it takes a practiced hand as well. It's, it's in the animals because the reason it hasn't changed is sheep are sheep are sheep are sheep. Sheep are always sheep. And sheep will continue to be sheep. But for us humans who got it all figured out, we still got a little bit to learn. Uh, but those who take on and come become what's called a hefted shepherd. Life can be rewarding and satisfying. Uh, Rebanks describes uh, some would-be shepherds who think they want to try it. They go out and they rent a farm and try their hand at being a shepherd. And the get-up-and-get-out voice in their head is not strong enough, and they just don't care enough about the sheep and the land to sustain their initial enthusiasm when the going gets tough. Yes. Things fall apart and they soon leave. But the voice in our heads is what holds, he says, the lake district together. It puts the walls back up. It drains the fields. It keeps in the sheep and keeps them well tended and bred. It is done because it should be done. The get up and get out in your voice. Uh, time and time again, no matter what the profession is, anybody I've seen that excels at that profession has some sort of get up and get out voice within them. Amen. Something that makes them want to work while everybody else says that's enough. I was having a conversation with Dwight the other day and we were talking about know how and want to. And there's a whole lot of know how around. 
but not much want to when it comes to certain things. And in a lot of cases, the want to is more important than the know-how. If I see a problem and I walk past said problem and say, oh, that's what it is and that's just what it needs to fix it and I don't, I don't do anything about it, what good is that? Uh, I got some Bible for that. Uh, somewhere around about James, I can't give you the, the, the actual uh, address, but I know it's in James where he talks about you go to a homeless person and you say depart and be warm and fed and be in peace. Right. If I just say that, or if I just pull up, I'm a Johnny fired right now, if I just pull up to the corner and I see somebody homeless and I say, uh, be home, have a home in the name of Jesus, be fed, be fed in the name of Jesus, be warmed in the name of Jesus, find a job in the name of Jesus, and then when the light turns green, I'll speed off. But the get up and get out. I can want to lose weight all I want. But I need that get up and get out to get me up to start walking. Get, get up and get out to go to the gym. The get up and get out for me to say no to the double quarter pounder with cheese, no onion, medium fry, large sweet tea with a light ice and a hot and spicy chicken, no lettuce. The get up and get out. And so Rebanks' account of a shepherding life, it's easy to see some parallels in the shepherding which Jesus, to which Jesus calls his disciples. It's a life that requires some apprenticeship, some, some learning from others, and learning from your own mistakes. Also one that requires a certain get up and get out voice in the disciples' head. Tending Jesus' Flock is hard and difficult work. And Jesus pulls no punches about it. To do that work, the good shepherd is looking for a few good men and women to, for whom Peter, uh, one of the original under-shepherds, can be a helpful example. Uh, being a shepherd is hard. It's going to require you to think a way you may not have thought before. It's going to require you to do some things you may not have done before. It's going to require you to say some things you may not have said before. And it's going to require some get up and get out. Church is nice. Church is wonderful. The Bible says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In Psalms 133, it says in Hebrews, to forsake not the assembly of others. And even when it talks about in the Gospels, when Jesus was going to the synagogue, it often says, as was his custom. But our mission field is out there. Amen. Our mission field is not in here. And so this story is at the end of a story that kind of wrapped up. We, we read uh, through John 20, verse 31 at the end, and that's a great ending. They saw Jesus. They saw him raised from the dead. And Thomas, who some of us call a doubter, was able to put his hands in the, in the, the piercings in, in his hand in the side. But that's where it starts. That's not where it ends. Now you have to go out and tell people what you saw about the, the risen Savior. There's no more hiding in the upper room. All right. 
And so this story that we read and you're hearing the, through verse 20, uh, uh, chapter 21 is it, 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 coming off the back of a great ending. And just as if it sounds like it's all over, there's yet another story, a, a post-credit scene, an epilogue. It's like the play when a curtain comes down and the actor steps out in the front of the stage to deliver a postscript of the drama that has unfolded before us. There seems to be some fear that we may not have gotten it the first time. Uh, he said in chapter 20, ah, as the Father has sent me, I send you. That's what he said in chapter 20, but by the time we go to chapter 1, they are back to doing what they normally do. They're fishing. They're doing a bunch of other stuff. They've gone back to their old ways. I can relate to that. I can relate. Just myself. I ain't, I ain't going to talk about it. I can relate to having to hear something multiple times before I understand that this is what I was supposed to be doing. I can relate to hearing that. And, and I said, when it said that it makes sense to some people who heard it, but just in case, Jesus is saying, just in case you didn't get it the first couple of ways I said it, allow me to tell you a little more. Uh, and I like that. Uh, and as we look through the text in verse 1, uh, the first thing that jumped out at me is that they called it the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias. This ain't no new place in the Bible. It's the Sea of Galilee. But the funny thing about this is something I learned when I was preparing for this message. Uh, the believers called it the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else called it the Sea of Tiberias. The believers called it the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else called it the Sea of Tiberias. They say the third time's the charm, so I'm going to say it one more time. The believers called it the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else called it the Sea of Tiberias. If we are going to reach the least, the last, and the lost, if we are going to reach the other 4.6 million in from here, from Woodlands all the way to Galveston that don't go to a church. We may have to change our language some. There may be some things we need to start calling the Sea of Tiberias that we've been calling the Sea of Galilee if we're going to speak the same language as some of the other people. But we've been calling it the Sea of Galilee for a long time. Everybody know what the Sea of Galilee is. No, they don't. If I can open up an article in, in the Pew Religious Center Studies and see that only 17% of people go to church on a Sunday, we might need to change our language. If I can look in a sociological study of the Houston greater, uh, the greater metropolitan area and, and over 5 million people be in it, but 4.6 million people of them do not go to church in the, in the supposed Bible belt, we might need to change our language. If the, only, if the average committed Christian only goes to church 1.4 times a month, we might need to change our language. 
And so he calls it, and I like that the gospel according to John points that out, the Sea of Tiberias. Galilee is known to the believers, but Tiberias is known to other people, so we may not have all the answers. We might need to change our approach. I'm reminded of Exodus, uh, where they mentioned that there was, uh, uh, and I think it was one in eight, where they said that there arose a new king who did not know Joseph's God. God was still the same, but generation after generation, we got around some kings who didn't care for him or didn't know him. And we just assumed that everybody knew what was going on. Uh, So we have the fishermen of the sea and we have the disciples and these disciples, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John. John is always referred to in the gospel according to John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'll admit that I thought for a time that was a bit arrogant. Who all went to the party? Oh, well, uh, Michael and Matthew and the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> I, I, I can't really go around referring to myself when I'm around my, uh, my siblings as, uh, yeah, there's Jessica and then there's mom's favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I used to think that was arrogant. And so I would chuckle, and I still do whenever I'm reading John and I hear it say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But then I understand now sometimes when I read the Bible and they don't put somebody's name in there specifically. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ, and we are all loved by Jesus. So we can put ourselves in the text because we are all disciples whom Jesus loves. Uh, yes, and so they go and they fish, and, and, and they, they're called out to, and there's a call, and there's a command, and there's a comprehension. And the call, he says, children, have you caught any fish? And they hadn't. They'd been fishing all night, doing what they knew to do, how they knew to do it where they knew to do it, and when they knew to do it. And Jesus told them to cast the net on the other side. That was not a normal deal. But yet he told them to cast it on the other side. So maybe, just maybe, if we are going to be tending to the sheep, we might not do the same things we've been doing. We might have to try to cast our nets on the other side. I've been told that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a a, a different result. We have to be willing to do something different. We have to be willing to cast our nets on the other side. And when they cast their nets on the other side, they catch more fish than the boat can handle. And some of the measurements I've seen from scholars say that that boat could have been almost 30 feet long and several feet deep. And it's still enough fish to almost sink a ship that big. But when you do what Jesus says, you will get what Jesus has in store for you. 
If you always do what God doesn't say for you to do, you will get what God does not have in store for you. We just got to be willing to cast our nets on the other side. And then they realize again, because this is the third time that they've seen it. This is, this is uh, Jesus telling them again. And they catch more. And then they have breakfast on the beach and over 153 large fish. And he invites them to breakfast and they recognize who he is when they break bread. They recognize who he is because they've been there and there is a confession. He tells them over and over again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter keeps saying over and over again, yes, I do. Then feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Something that's often overlooked in the Easter story when they go to the empty tomb and they tell Mary when the angels tell Mary first The first, the first gospel sermon preached, the first Easter sermon preached, Mary, when Mary is told to tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee, they're meeting Jesus in Galilee because that is where everything got started. These people walked with Jesus and watched him heal the sick and raise the dead and open blinded eyes and walk on water and feed the multitude with fish with two fish and five loaves of bread and, and make the lame get up and walk. They watched him do all of this stuff, but yet and still, when he got crucified, the disciples deserted. And Peter denied him three times. But here he's being redeemed. Do you love me? Three times. And not only is he doing that, but they are going back to Galilee because that is where the whole ministry got started. There's repentance there. There's forgiveness there. There's an opportunity to start over. Even though you messed up. You love me. Yes, I do. That's what matters. Go feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I do. Tend to my sheep. So this is a a restart, a reboot, a a do-over, a mulligan, an opportunity to get back in good graces. Peter gets asked three times if he loved Jesus just like he denied him three times. It's an opportunity to start over. They say that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is right now. There are some Galilees in our lives, some Tiberiuses in our lives, some, some opportunities for redemption, some things that we can start over. Uh, and Rebanks in his book talks about the first rule of shepherding, makes it clear and right out the gate that it is not about you. It's about the sheep and the land. A real shepherd knows that sheep must be fed and the land cultivated to feed them. 
And that often means sacrificing one's own agenda to get up and go work the field no matter the weather or the date. In the shepherd's life, the sheep must come first. The Gospels reveal that Peter and the other disciples often saw themselves as being the eventual beneficiaries, beneficiaries rather, of Jesus' fame and kingship. Jesus, however, constantly reminds them that it's not about them. It's not about who gets to be Jesus' vice president. Who gets to be the next person that's famous. It's about the people that they will be fishing for and shepherding. And Jesus' command to feed my lambs indicates that the shepherding task is not about ones gathering their own flock of admirers, uh, but about modeling themselves after the good shepherd, the one for whom the sheep always come first. If we're going to be good shepherds, we have to be willing to see discipleship and ministry not as a mean to build in our own spiritual and emotional capital, but sacrificial work. Rebank says that it's quite easy to tell the difference between a dedicated shepherd and a poser. Everything and everyone is at times covered in refuge. And snot, and you learn to accept that you will sometimes get splattered. The shepherds have to deliver the babies of the other sheep. The shepherds have to clean up after the sheep. The shepherds have to tend to sick sheep, and that is messy work. And you can tell, he says, who's not ready to be a shepherd by how terrified they look when it gets messy. I've said before uh, that when I played football, one thing we didn't like was a clean jersey. Because if your jersey, if your uniform was clean, that meant you had not come in contact with anybody else on the field. You hadn't been tackled. You hadn't blocked anybody. You hadn't been blocked. That meant you stood next to the coach the entire time, going up and down the sideline, waiting for them to call you in. So nobody wanted a clean jersey. Even if you didn't get tackled, I ain't get tackled too often. But my jersey was still sweaty because I'd been running. Clean jerseys were not something we wanted. Clean shepherds is not something that Rebanks is talking about. That's not a that that tells you who's not in for the sheep. Uh, I've I've served as officer in various organizations, and uh, uh, one of my fraternities, there's a position that I've served at, as well as some others. That is never contested. Always only one person runs for it. And, and one of the previous presidents said, you know why nobody ever runs for this position? 
because it's grunt work. You're not out in front. You don't get the microphone. You don't talk a bunch during meetings. You don't run nothing. You sit there and you assist. And people don't want to do that. That's grunt work. Tending to the sheep is grunt work. But it has to be done. And sometimes it has to be done without your name being on the program. Without your name being on the marquee, nobody might know, people may not know a single thing you've done, but the Lord knows. Amen. And so he says to follow me. Uh, hearing that the disciples first recognize the risen Christ when he appears on the shore, we remember that Mary once mistook him for a gardener when she encountered him at the empty tomb in verse, chapter 20, verse 4, 15. And and then when Thomas and them saw it, they, they mistook him as well. Sometimes we are lost in grief. But other times we, 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 we are hiding behind locked doors when he comes like he did to Thomas. And other times we have gone back to what we known to do, fishing back to what we've been doing, but yet and still, whether it's at the empty tomb or we're hiding in the upper room with the rest of the disciples for fear of getting caught or if we've decided to leave and go to Galilee and go back to fishing, he still finds us. The shepherd still comes and looks for us and he lets us know that there is a good chance that we also will be slow to recognize Jesus. But even though we're slow to recognize Jesus, he's not slow to recognize us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.